you know, it, for me, it was a no brainer. I had, I was raising a black daughter and I, I'm, I'm, I have this young woman becoming right in front of me. And I was just, there was no, I was just like, you know, it's, it's now or never either now is the time to speak truth to power, to speak truth to future generations, or it's never going to be a good time, you know? And I also thought, honestly, I wanted my white friends to know. Marcy is a writer, a blogger, a wife, and a mom. She's also the creator of many online spaces that she calls Brave Spaces, most namely Black Coffee with White Friends and Mockingbird, History Lessons for Adults. Welcome to The Safe Haven, a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life. Marcy is one incredible person. This conversation was so humbling for me. In this episode, Marcy shares the stories behind how these ventures began and how, at the root of them, were crucial conversations that need to be had about history, race, identity, and what it means to be Marcy. These conversations are woven with such a beautiful sense of vulnerability and so much truth, including personal practices, finding balance in the world today, and what deepest challenges and biggest rewards have been like in Marcy's life. At the end of most episodes, I pull out some of my safe haven style questions for my guests. Just wait until you hear the stories about Marcy's mom during that part of our fabulous conversation. I was literally speechless listening to these stories. Let's jump in. I'm Marcy Alvis Walker. I am a writer, blogger, um, mother, wife here in Austin, Texas. And I have two projects. One is Black Coffee with White Friends, which is a blog and Instagram feed about navigating um, racial conversation, being the only Black woman in the room many times here in my town and throughout my entire life. And then I also have Mockingbird History Lessons for Adults, which is my Patreon project. And that's exactly what it is. It's history lessons, but talking about the stories that we don't hear about, the things that we don't focus in on um, in the history that we're taught in school. And the goal of that project is to create a community that then creates a curriculum that we all have some say and contribution um, to so that our kids have a better history that will go into schools and go into homeschools and be used in homes and will be engaging and will be humane, which is really important to me, that there'll be a humanity to it. I think humanity gets lost in history sometimes, and we need to let our children know that these were human beings, not just people with a date and a statistic added to them. Mm-hmm. Had you always been interested in history? You know, <laughs> um, not so much. I I think it was a class when I was a, a student, I always enjoyed history class, but I wasn't like nuts about it. I wasn't someone who um, watched the History Channel, was really into documentaries or anything like that. But what I was interested in, and I've always been interested in, is why people do the things they do. I've always wanted to know, okay, well, that happened, but why did that happen? Like, I've always been that person. I've always loved story. I was an English lit major. I read a lot, love books, love folk tales, fairy t- love the whole legends of lore thing. So, um, and history to me is a lot like that. And I've always loved, um, I've always had a nostalgia for um stories of old. Like I've always wanted to hear, like I have lots of friends who are many years older than I am. Um, And I love that because I want to know those stories Um, more so than I want to know, you know, what's the latest trend happening right now on Mm -hmm. YouTube. I 
I'm an old soul. I've always been told that. So it's not surprising to me that history has come my way as of recent. Mm -hmm. So if you were to put a timeline on when you started to really deep dive into create content that would be both educational and a form of building community, when did that start? Well, the Patreon project started a year ago. Mm -hmm. So it's been a full year. Black Coffee, that's been that community, which is my baby. It's been since my daughter was in the 11th grade. So maybe three, four years. Mm-hmm. Going on four years, I, I'd have to go back in my feeds to find out. But that was shortly after Trump was president. Mm-hmm. That really kicked it off. And, you know, I really wanted my daughter to know what my thoughts were and what I cared about in this moment in time. I didn't want her to have to guess. I've had to guess a lot about my family. Um, we didn't talk a lot about their past. And, they had interesting stories that they carried to their graves. So Mm. I didn't want my daughter to have to figure me out um, and put pieces together. I wanted her to know exactly what I was thinking, how I was feeling, um, what it meant to be a woman this Mm. time of life, what it meant to be um, a Black woman, um, what it is to be a mother, what it felt like to be cisgender at this time, you know, in life and my feelings. I, I wanted her to know mine and not have to rely on other resources to inform her about this day and age. Um, so that's really what Black Coffee White Friends was really about. And I decided to start writing letters to white friends on the blog because I felt that I had done a bit of a disservice in not sharing more what I really thought when we were all together. And so I just wanted to have something that my maybe grandkids and great grandkids, you know, if I'm so blessed to have that, could look back and say, oh, this is this is what my grandmother was about. This is who we are. And to have, you know, just something to be tethered to. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple of questions for you just with everything that you're yep. saying. Thank you so much for sharing this. I This is beautiful, Marcy. What was the response when you started writing letters to white friends? Um, well, it was on the blog, so it wasn't like I was sending them actual letters, um, which I think would have been. No, no, I read <laughs> yeah, like, like lick the envelope and just mail it to them. <laughs> no. This is how I feel as your black friend. <laughs> but I think being able to send it in that capacity. Like yeah. I, but because essentially you're writing down how you're feeling, but yeah. you're also kind of sending it out to the world to see in such a public way that so many people, white friends or white people out there reading that content would totally feel what you're saying. Yeah. You know, it. for me, it was a no-brainer. I, ha- I was raising... A black daughter, and I, I'm, I'm, I have this young woman becoming right in front of me, and I was just, th- there was no, I was just like, you know, it's, it's now or never. Mm-hmm. Either now is the time to speak truth to power, to speak truth to future generations, or it's never going to be a good time, you know. And I also thought, honestly. I wanted my white friends to know where I was coming from when Trump was elected. I I know I keep coming back to that, but that's such a a huge turning point for so many African-American people and and Black people and people of color in our country. When he became president, it was kind of like, oh, I I think I need to (laughs) explain more to my friends why this matters and why this has been a painful thing for for me personally. Um, And so, and I didn't want to have to continue to have the conversation um, over and over again when I could just say, you know, I have this blog, you can read it, you should read it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's it's also, you want to have friendships, you don't want to have 
you know, I didn't want to have a bunch of white Eliza Doolittles that I'm <laughs> teaching mm-hmm. racial mm-hmm. racial uh, sensitivity to. I wanted to have true and real relationships with people who could see me in all of my identity, not just part of my identity. I did. I wanted them to know that it, it's a package deal. Like you might be able to extract that I am a mom whose kid is a friend of your kids, but I cannot ever forget that you are a white mother whose white kid is a friend of my kid because I have to prepare my kid for that friendship and all that may come with it. And you may not be doing that on on your end, but I feel like you should. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, it didn't, I really didn't think much about it. I was so focused on really wanting my daughter to feel safer in the world and safer with me too, safer to tell me things. Because if I weren't talking about these things, there's a lot of conversations that I think that she and I would not have had. Mm -hmm. But I think that um, we had a conversation the other night. It was actually not even the night. It was middle of the day. And she was telling me how at the school, we, she was in a, a very small private Christian academy. Um, she no longer is there. That's not where she graduated from, but she was there for a few years. And we knew that there were problems towards the end racially and just all kinds of problems. But for us, it, it was the fact that she was the only Black girl in her grade and actually the only black girl in the whole high school. <laughs> and and um, that's a lot. Um, the other girl was a, was mixed race and there was a black boy who had been adopted into a black family, so, into a white family. So she was the only black girl coming with a, with a black experience, right? A black parent. And um, she has, she suffered a lot in that, but she didn't tell us it as it was going on because that's the thing. Kids are ashamed. Like a lot of kids don't talk about the fact that they've been bullied at school because they feel that what the bully is saying is more true than what the love they're receiving is. And it takes a long while for them to trust that the bully's wrong and I'm going to tell this true and my family's going to love and accept me. And with racial trauma, it plays out so much more differently because it's not it's an identity that you don't choose and that's attached to you. It's your very skin. So your shame works itself quite differently and it's, it's hard. But she would, shared with us the other day that um, a teacher, we were talking about different literature, that the difficulty of teaching history and teaching literature in a classical education school and how, you know, she was saying, you know, it was really rough um, reading To Kill a Mockingbird and going through American history in an all-white setting. And we knew this. Um, But then she told us a story that she hadn't told us. And she said that she once had to read something in class and it used the N-word. And her white teacher told her it was okay for her to use the word. And here's my Black daughter having to read this word out loud to white students who had been less than kind to her Mm -hmm. about her race. And we didn't know that story. And it just really, really broke me down. I mean, it makes me want to cry just thinking about it now. But I apologized to her because I said, I'm so sorry that our home at that time, we weren't having the conversations where you could come home and say, do you know what happened today? And, or you could have stood up for yourself. We've since become a different family. And now when those things happen in her world, she, she knows who's behind her. And she knows that we have her back. And I think because we put such a stress on the blessing of her being there, I can't tell you how many times I told her your grandfather, your your great grandfather was uh, was born to slaves, and they were sharecroppers, and you know he couldn't even write his name. 
And you are so blessed to have this education. Well, that's all in her head. She's carrying that. I'm protecting the institution of education more so than I was protecting the institution of her heart and her, her being. It, you know, I kick myself all the time thinking about that, but it also fuels me to continue in what I'm doing because I know I'm not the only mom who's made that mistake. And it's not a mistake that has to be made. So when I think of kids and identity and um, the damage that was done to her identity in that moment on top of all the other moments, and then not to have a home that put her identity above institutions, ugh, it just tears me up. Um, so writing letters to white friends, writing blog posts to white friends was easy. It, it, was, it was a no-brainer. I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad because not for them, but because my daughter seeing me take that risk helped her to take a risk with me and tell me more about what she was going through, what her experiences and how she's seeing the world. But had I stayed silent, she might have assumed that I agreed with this messed up journey that we're all on, mm. this horrible boat trip that just won't end, you know? And, um, but now she knows, she knows where I stand and it. it's a really good feeling. What a beautiful way to model vulnerability in your case, to show that to your daughter. Yeah. Because there, I think you're absolutely right. There's so many conversations that need to happen that don't happen based on what we think we need to uphold. So Marcy, that's amazing that you are able to have those kinds of conversations and that your daughter feels comfortable enough coming to, to have them. Well, it's, it's, it's a, it was a long time coming, but I'm glad we're here. Mm-hmm. We've arrived. So you've obviously in that way then had to be super vulnerable about your own past and your own experiences. Mm-hmm. Has anything really challenging come up for you in sharing that she was able to relate to that surprised you? Um, I think, I think I've been more surprised at just how in tune her generation is, just how much they understand that there's more to what they've been given, more answers out there than the few that, that many parents have given them. And I, I'm, I'm always just so surprised at how much they know like what's happening in the news, um, how much they feel compelled to, to go out and do work to change things for the better. I think the thing that most surprised me in all of it and myself with her was, you know, I'm a Christian, um, which is a strange thing to say because I I feel very disconnected to the church as a whole. But having to, to figure out for me, okay, what does that really mean? Because when you used to say it, that meant you went to church, you volunteered, you read your Bible, but what does that really mean? And it's got to mean something that leaves some space for all these babies that are asking, well, what about this person? And what about that person? And what about this group? And what about that group? And so I've really had to um, allow for a lot, a lot less answers, which is very hard as a mom because we like to have a good answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I can't. I've had to say, I, I don't know. What do you think? A lot of times, mm-hmm. a lot more times than I thought that I ever would as a parent. I, I mean, I thought, and I'm, I'm, um, I'm an Enneagram too. So I like to have an answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and for her, she's much more comfortable with me saying, you know, coming back to her, because sometimes I've had to come back to her and I've had to say, you know, I, I don't think I was right about that. I think I answered because I think I thought that was the answer you needed, but maybe you didn't need an answer. And so I'm going to take that answer back and say, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. And um, we've gotten so much further with me being able to admit that I don't have all the answers. And that I can still be faithful. Mm -hmm. 
without knowing everything. I also think that that shows so much of you just being a human. Right. Right. And that it's okay to not know it all. Yeah. Yeah. That it's okay not to know it all. And it's okay to allow um, for the things that you don't know to allow them to exist peacefully. That just because you don't have an answer for it doesn't mean that someone else's answer is wrong. Mm -hmm. You can just be like, well, I don't know, but you seem to have an answer for yourself and I can support your answer for yourself without my unknowingness having to shut your answer down. Mm -hmm. So it's made me a kinder, more generous, much more abundant human being having this teenager who's watching me and saying, you say you love this God who loves all people. Well, then you better love all people because I'm watching mm-hmm. and I'm going to call you out <laughs> if yeah. I see that that's not what you're doing because that's a teen's favorite activity. It's the sport that they're best at, calling you out when you <laughs> aren't doing what you said you were going to do or you're not being who you said you were, you know? <laughs> they're your biggest teacher humbling. in some way. <laughs> Yeah, right. Super humbling. (laughs) Really humbling. (laughs) I'm super curious about what the most rewarding thing about your blog space and your Instagram account has been. The most rewarding thing that's come from it. I think the most rewarding thing for me is that people are really trying, seeing that people are really trying to be the best human beings that they can be. And that even if they don't know not to touch my hair or whatever the racial things are, um, even if they voted for a candidate that I wouldn't have voted for, um, most people are genuinely trying their very best to be a good neighbor and a good human being. There are trolls out there, but they are far fewer than the people who really do want to come and have a conversation. They want to lament. They want to be uplifted. They want to lift me up. That is a constant source of joy for me to know that on the whole, most people want what's best for all people. Most people do. Even if they don't, like me, they don't have all the answers to how we get there. That's what they want. And they want to know, just like I do, that they are seen, that their opinions matter, that their questions matter when they are thoughtful and sensitive and um, offered with an open heart and an open mind. I think that that's, that's such a beautiful thing about humanity. And so I don't feel so much despair in the world because those people are still there. Mm-hmm. So it, it's almost too much of a privilege. Like I, I know that there are people who don't have a following on Instagram that can tell them that. And I do count it as a blessing that it's not something that I earned. It, it's just something that happens. And I see lots of accounts out there that are, are more beautiful and more thoughtful and with fewer followers. So it's not, it's not, um, it's, it's, I don't know how this happened. I don't, I, I remember when I started the blog and I, I started the Instagram feed because I thought that would be the easiest way to tell people when I post. And then I thought, and it'll be fun to just post little thoughts here and there. And my husband's a graphic designer. So he was very concerned about the look of it. <laughs> and then I got to play art director, which I think is the most fun job in the world to say, I want it to look like this and make this like this. And so, and we got to collaborate together on things. We really wanted it to feel like a good place. Like we wanted people to come to it and the colors and the way we were, the words on the page, it it looked good. And so that was important. And then um, I decided that I wasn't going to put any hashtags And I was going to try my very best, unless I was pointing to a resource, I was going to try to not at a lot of people. Like if I talk about Brene Brown, I wasn't going to at Brene Brown because I wanted to see what, what a divine, open heart, divine 
experience could be without my interference and to see what could come. And it has blown me away. It blows me away every single day. You know, <laughs> like I'm always blown away. And uh, yeah, there, there, there are times that people enter and it's, it's not great, but um, I've even figured out a way to handle that. My new thing is that anytime that someone kind of says something mean, I, I'm just going to throw a rhyme at them. I'm just going to throw some, some rap rhymes at them. <laughs> not mine, but like, you know, I'm just like, well, I'm just going to send you a little Kendrick Lamar. I mean, I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, or I think the last time I sent someone like a line from Tribe Called Quest or something, they're just like, huh? <laughs> you know? Throws them off completely. <laughs> Well, and it's fun for me and it, it, it makes me kind of look forward to trolls because I'm just like, yeah, bring it, bring it, bring your, your, your venom. I'm just going to send you, you know, Jay-Z lines. Mm. So um, it's been really a great place of healing for myself, for my family, and I hope for the community too. And I think it has been, and I hope it continues that way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm only one human being and he, we are all flawed. I hope I, I can continue to be honest and open with people. And, you know, I'm willing to take on follows when I'm being honest. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, I can't be anything but who I am. So if I post something and people unfollow, which I've had, that's, that seems right to me. Yeah. They shouldn't be there anyway. Yeah. I don't feel bitter about it at all. Yeah. I'm like, I absolutely. If this is not where you want to be or what you want to hear, fine. I don't think you have to stay here. That's, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to be here, but you yeah. can, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that I'm still existing. So you still have to reckon with that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, sure. You, you don't have to be here. No. Yeah. Where does your biggest source of inspiration come? Mm, that's a good question. Mm. I would say books. Okay, I'm going to say this. Um, I'm very inspired by the Bible, but not in a... Billy Graham way. <laughs> I, need to, I need to say it. I am very, there's a lot of margin in the Bible, a lot in between the lines, a lot of mystery, a lot of unknowns. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And so I'm very, I have this thing where I'll take a, a, a snippet of a verse, just a snippet, because Sometimes you'll see these two words in this whole big thing. Like you'll hear someone say all of the Beatitudes, but how amazing are just the words blessed are. That's, that's amazing. And so I can sit and meditate on that, just those two words for like ages and drive my husband and my daughter crazy with <laughs> all kinds of um, conversation over, over just those two words. I love that. And so I'm very inspired by that. And then I love poetry, all poets. I'm very big into uh, Jericho Brown is, is a huge love of mine. And um, I love Tracy K. Smith, but love poetry. I just do so much. Um, and then I, I read a lot. So I love books, love literature, love children's books. I'm a, I still buy and read picture books mm -hmm. like I love them and I love children's literature. I read um, young adult and kids books uh, all the time and very inspired by them. And those are my main sources of inspiration. And then I, I'm a TV girl. I do like watching TV. I love movies. My family does too. So I'm inspired by a lot of things, um, but mostly those are the sources. Mm -hmm. Things just come and I get all weird and geeked out on them. Mm -hmm. And I remember my husband, I, this, there was this one post and my husband's like, you can't, what, why would you post that? And I think it was, I had this thought 
I just did this post about all the things that I liked because I was thinking it's so funny. We're, we're all here on the space together, especially now with the pandemic. We're all on our social media feeds. But the truth of the matter is that we are also very different. And yet we can still agree that this picture is beautiful or this is an interesting statement. And so I was thinking about that one day. It was probably last year sometime. And I was like, I listed down all these random things that I just liked. I can't even name any of the randomness of it. But it was, it was fanciful. And I'll admit that. Like it was things like, I believe that there are fairies. I just need to believe that somewhere in some garden, there really is yeah. a fairyland somewhere out there. I would like to believe that. Um, and it was like this kind of fanciful riff. And my husband's just like, this is bonkers. But the whole point was that I can believe in all these things and we can still find a place of common ground. And you cannot believe in these things and we can still find a place of common ground. And that was really the point. And it was like, at that time, it, it became one of my most popular posts. And my husband was, he came to me later, he's like, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> He thought it was because I, I I think I also said you have to put this on pink and he was just like oh gosh like as a designer everything in him was just like this is wrong this is wrong I'm gonna do it for you but this is wrong and then um, look at it <laughs> and then it it became and I think what it did is it, it kind of just let people and then people would say I have always thought that this was true too and, um, yeah. It was really a lot of fun. And then people also added like things that they believed that were just ridiculous and, and fanciful. Mm -hmm. But it, it just made them feel good to think that wouldn't it be nice if in the end we found out that, yes, fairies existed, mm -hmm. you know, um, or that Big Bird Snuffleupagus really did live <laughs> and, and existed, you know, like all mm -hmm. the silly things. It's like that relatability, the relatability yeah. or what people can actually just be like, oh. <gasps> Oh my gosh, I think fairies exist too. I know that there's a fairy garden next door. A hundred percent there is. And they come out at night or on the full yeah. moon or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And it, it, that relatability, it's like people feel less alone in that and are more apt to chime in or to comment on something if yeah. they feel that they can do so. Yeah, I, I think, it, I think it, it does that. So I'm very inspired by that sense of the world, a sense of wonder, a sense of a little bit of wanderlust, not even for this world, but maybe for Narnia and mm -hmm. <laughs> the Shire. I don't know. I just, I'm very, I'm, I'm quite romantic in that sense um, about life and, and how we live. And that's always been, that's just always been, even as a kid. So I remember being blown away by 90210. This is so funny. My <laughs> sister, if she listens to this, she'll crack up. So my sister and I were watching 90210 when it first was like this big thing back in the day. And I was just like, oh, could you imagine being Brenda? Like I just thought was the most amazing thing. And my sister looked at me like, no, why would I do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> so I've always been a little different and um, the most, I would say. But um, I know that my people are out there. <laughs> Not, you know, I know they're out there. So it's it's been fun to play with that mm -hmm. um, in that Instagram feed. Mm -hmm. It's a safe space and you've created a safe space yeah. for everyone to kind of do the same. Well, I hope that rather than safe, that it's a brave space. It's, mm. a, it's a space where you can, because safe just seems to say that you won't be challenged but brave you will be challenged but you can survive it I love that you can go on from here you can read this post and it will not kill you you know I love that you'll survive my gosh do I love that a brave space I'm all over I'm literally writing that down right now <laughs> <laughs> I love it um actually so that makes me wonder about when things get challenging for you or when things go a bit sideways or things are up in the air or you've got lots going on, I mean, you're in the middle of a move right now. How right. do you reset? What are some personal practices that you have or what are some things that you implement throughout your day or routine to help yeah. you balance? Well, we talked earlier that I, there's tea, there's a lot of tea in my house, tea and coffee. <laughs> um, and it's a, it's a ritualistic sort of a thing for us. And my husband is the 
barista of our home and he loves to he loves to come and make hot drinks for everyone. So that's like a, a bit of a touching stone. And I I do get to work at home with my husband. My daughter's home now all day too. So that's been really nurturing during this time. And we have been quite childish. <laughs> um, we have indulged a lot in um, cartoons and things like that to to just give us that sense of innocence in the world again. I think also because my daughter's graduated, she, she's going to college. I think that's also, we've been a bit more nostalgic for childhood uh, around here, all of us. But I also do stuff like my daughter and I just watched the whole season of The Bachelorette. We never saw The Bachelorette with The Black Bachelorette. Yeah, Rachel. Yeah, with Rachel. And my <laughs> watching it with my daughter was so much fun. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Just her comments, her her feelings, and that's fun. And we do that. I do that after I'm done writing. I write generally um, in the morning. I do research and writing from about 7 or 8 in the morning to about 3 or 4. And then I work out. And then after a workout, she and I – and while I work out, I found the workout so I can watch TV while I work out. <laughs> so that was my thing. So I love weight lifting and weight training and – um, body weight mm-hmm. exercises. So um, I found this app that takes you through all and you can challenge yourself. So while I'm doing that, we watch like, what is it? Million dollar real estate show in LA, like for some reason. And we love to see the houses and we love all the drama. So like doing that kind of stuff with her, has been fun. But on a, just in my own time, I have been listening to a teacher called Neil Douglas Klotz, or it's Neil Klotz Douglas, it's either way. But he teaches um, Jesus's words in Aramaic. He's a, he's a scholar in the Aramaic language. And so um, having him sing and chant in the Aramaic language and to teach that has been the way that I wind down at night. I put in my earbuds and I just go to sleep to that. Um, a lot of reading and, you know, it's, it's all those things. I've been reading, um, Howard Thurman lately who Martin Luther King carried around his book with him. So that's been great. Um, and music is big. So I have a lot of ways that I just kind of, we, the Gilmore Girls is always on at our house, <laughs> like a lot. And so because I was in love when I was a single mom, when I first was divorced, I divorced my daughter was two and she and I, she doesn't know this. I watched those shows kind of like if Lorelai can do it, I can do this. I can do this. You know? <laughs> and, um, and then when my, my husband now found out that I love those shows. He would buy me a season of Gilmore Girls for every birthday, every Christmas I would get. So I have all the seasons, but then they're all on Netflix. So it's very strange because now my daughter watches, has watched them all. And um, she puts them on and we can like, we know them word for word. Yeah. <laughs> How often they on. So that's like, it's just little things like that. And I... It sounds strange, but I'm constantly touching, touching God, I feel like touching just, you know, if I'm worried, I, I just will say, I'm really worried about this. And I know I shouldn't be worried about this and that the divine is greater and bigger and more than this worry, but I'm carrying it right now. Help me unload. That's like a pretty common prayer for me. Or I might just say things like, I don't get hurricanes. Like, what is up with that? You know? But there's, there's always a constant running dialogue with God for me. And that's comforting. Um, I don't know. I, I've let myself off the hook with a lot of the legalistic answers that have happened in, in my faith, in the Christian faith. Like, And I test myself. I, I want to know that God is outside of any patriarchal standards of what it needs to look like. So I spent last summer, I got to go on a retreat with Richard Rohr teaching and 
Caitlin Curtis, who um, wrote the book Native, and I think it's called Glory Always. I can't, I can't remember. But she's um, she's a Native American, and um, she had us like really connect with nature, and that was so new for me. And it's been, and I've been doing things like that, like trees, and my husband and I are reading a book called The Peregrine, and um, it is the most beautiful book I've ever read. And that's saying a lot because I've read a lot of beautiful books. This is such a beautifully written book about a bird. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't normally pick that, but I married a boy who likes stars and nature. And I'm so glad about it because he just loves talking about the stars. And, and it, it's kind of funny. I'll ask him something about just something simple. And he'll, he'll say, and you know, now I don't want a lesson, <laughs> I had a question. but um, that's, that's been good for me too. And I've been buying children's books. So I, I have my ways of unwinding, but they're not. Oh, and I have this rule now with the pandemic that if I'm ordering groceries, Every cart that I order has to have chocolate in it. That's like my new, because <laughs> it's just the way it is. Um, and so that's been fun because I don't think we've ever had this much chocolate in our home, but it's been like every single basket has to have chocolate. <laughs> so I would jump on that so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm all about that. I, I actually, I'm out of chocolate at the moment. So you've just reminded me that I'm going to have to add that to my cart. <laughs> Okay, Marcy, I have three kind of safe haven style questions for you. Okay. What are you most proud of? Oh, I am most proud of my mother. Hmm. Um, My mother was born in West Virginia during Jim Crow days. And she literally got pregnant so that she didn't have to be integrated into schools because she was terrified. She saw what was going on on the news and she didn't want to go through picket lines and all that stuff. And she knew that if she got pregnant, she'd have to get married and she got married and she had five kids. And she also was mentally ill. My mom um, was schizoaffective. Most of my, not all for my, I think my um, sisters might remember her differently when they were younger, but for most of our childhood and life she she was in and out of mental facilities men, mental health facilities and then um and then when she was oh gosh i want to say in 60 some early 60s late 50s she actually went to um prison for manslaughter yeah she did what happened is she my mother was this person who believed in helping people who didn't have any place to go. So I grew up having lots of strange people in and out of our home. And I grew up with my grandparents most of the time. But when I spent time with my mother, when we were there for weekends or the summer, it was always a house where people that wouldn't have been welcomed in other houses on that very respectable African-American middle-class street, she would let them in. And she had let in a woman who had assaulted her. So the woman had assaulted my mother in the past and my mother didn't want to press charges because she knew, she's like, I know what they're going to do and I know what's going to happen to her. So I'm just not going to press charges and I'll just stay away from her. But long story short, the, the woman got into some trouble and she needed a place and my mother opened her home to her. and she attacked my mom and, and my mom defended herself and she ended up dead. My mother spent eight years, eight to nine years, almost nine years in a state correctional facility. And everyone, when she went said, she'll never make it. She won't make it. She'll, she'll have a mental episode and she'll, she'll, she might kill herself, all these things. And my mom went in there and she, not only did she thrive, she got engaged <laughs> prison. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This, this could oh only be one. She got engaged. Um, she, she got her GD cause she had never graduated from high school. And then she went on to college 
and she did all these things in the faith community within her within the jail and um you know set by women's beside women who were dying in prison like a couple of the women had cancer and my mom was beside them and then um she just she's just a really remarkable person and then she she came out of prison with cancer and she died in 2010 so i just but she died the, the thing that's so weird so my mom came out of prison and she was in a halfway house for like i think almost a year not quite a year and then she was able to buy a house. I don't, I don't know how my mom did all this stuff, but she figured out some program and she bought herself a house and she fixed it up. <laughs> and, um, she renovated it because she had a great eye for design. And she was just this, she was difficult. Don't get me wrong. I mean, she's a mentally ill woman who could be quite abrasive when she was not, when she was not taking her meds or treating her illness well. but. When she was in her element, she was quite dynamic. And I'm so proud of her because all of her kids survived. I, I don't know how we did. I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know how we made it through that childhood. But we not only survived, but, but for the most part, we are doing okay. You know? So I don't know. I, I'm so proud of her. Every time I, I think about, I I wish that she could see my daughter these days. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she would just really enjoy who Nadia is and is becoming. But I just think all the hard decisions that she needed to make, she made. Like when she could not take care of us anymore, she had my grandparents step in. And the grandparents that she asked were her ex-in-laws. They weren't her family. You know, like she just, she just did things that were so were so hard. And she asked my grandmother to take care of us who didn't even like my mom. So, but she knew she would take care of her kids. So she did that. And so I think I, I'm so proud of her because she did a lot of hard things, a lot of heartbreaking things as a mom. It doesn't really make her an, uh, an example of what a mom should be. I, I would never want to make those choices. But I just think... For who she was, I'm pretty darn proud of being her daughter. Thank you so much for sharing that. No, no problem. I think I feel like we should have you back and do an entire podcast <laughs> on her life. There's so much to unpack with that. It's really funny because I'm working on a book right now with a publishing company and we were having our first meeting on my first draft and I, I kind of dropped some things about my mom in there and they were like, okay, this mom thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, can you tell us more about that? And it, it's interesting because I'm like, that's a whole different, like her story is such a whole different book. So I've been thinking lately that if I ever have the, se- the chance to write a, a second book, because this one's pretty much done and, we, and I have added more about my mom, I would love to tell her story in full as best that I can, because I, I, I was her youngest of five kids. So mm-hmm. with my siblings, I'm sure we could piece together the majority of her story. But um, yeah, she she was quite a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. What would you like to be known for? Oh, I, I don't really, I, I don't wish to be all that known. But um, <laughs> that's, that, that's a problem. <laughs> um. <laughs> You know, when I think about leaving this earth, I always want that my daughter knows that I loved her tremendously. That's what I most want to be known for, that I loved her and I loved my family and my husband. I loved them tremendously. And so, and and that sounds like a really, a really, really pat answer, but it's not because I've, I have siblings that I don't know that they know how much my mom loved them. I, I don't know if they can say that my mom loved me tremendously. And so I want my daughter to, that's what I want to be known for, loving her well, loving my husband well, just loving the people who, who matter really well. Mm-hmm. I, I want, when I go, that, they, that everyone who I love absolutely without question knew that I love them. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. 
And if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? I think it's, okay, I'll say it this way. Love God, but if you're an atheist, love something bigger than yourself. Love others and love yourself. That's it. Love something bigger than yourself. And I would hope that that would be God, but I can respect if it's not. God's complicated. Um, Love others um, because there is just no greater joy. And love yourself um, because that's the best way to love. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm I'm so full of gratitude right now. Where can people find you online? Um, the best place to find me is blackcoffeewithwhitefriends.com. And you can also find me, my Patreon. If you just go to patreon.com and put in Mockingbird History, history Lessons, they'll come up. And then Instagram um, for both of those, um, Black Co- Coffee with White Friends and Mockingbird History Lessons. Both of those are my Instagram mm-hmm. handles. And that's where I mostly hang out. I'll be able to link those at the bottom of the podcast notes too. Oh, cool. Cool. Thank you so much for today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This is such a lovely conversation. This is beautiful what you're doing. Marcy, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and for your stories. Your vulnerability and openness are so deeply appreciated. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform, and I am committed to creating a safe, brave, and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart, which I am so sure it has, please screenshot your screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it on your social media accounts. Please be sure to tag us so that we can personally thank you for it. And if you're able to write a review or to leave a juicy five-star rating, that helps this podcast grow leaps and bounds. For more great podcasts, check out FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com. And if today is the start of your journey into the depths of anti-racism, learning and unlearning of old ways, be kind to yourself. Try not to feel burdened by shame or guilt. Keep moving, keep growing, and keep leading with love. And I will... Talk to you next week.